Hello, Montgomery County, and welcome to the OPL podcast with MCIU. My name is Brandon Langer, and I'm the Instructional Technology Program Administrator in the Office of Professional Learning. And this is our series on SDIs in virtual environments. And we are lucky enough to have Cassie Bruce joining us once again for this fourth edition. So welcome, Cassie. Thank you for sitting down with me and going through this important topic of how we attack SDIs in virtual environments, which, as we've been saying, are, are not just full-time virtual learners. It really is just a part of our learning environment these days. Right, exactly. A lot of what we've done during pandemic learning is now translating back in traditional classrooms. And so really looking at how we leverage that to support our students with disabilities. So you've been playing a great role on the MVP team, which is our virtual program at MCIU, just helping us support and learn with you around how we can be helping to support our virtual learners who either have uh, IEPs, 504s, that need to be addressed in these environments. But the conversation keeps coming up, both with teachers, with leaders, with parents, about these students in virtual environments. What makes teaching students with disabilities, what, what are the challenges there? What makes it so difficult? I think one of the things that came up as a teacher, we're very intuitive of what's going on with our students. We can feel the vibe of the room we see in front of them. We can come up and sit next to them and have a very private conversation that maybe the rest of the class doesn't see. And we can do some like ninja implementing of IEPs, right? Where (laughs) the other kids don't know. But then all of a sudden that got ripped from us. Now we're in front of a computer screen and whether it's you know, different assignment types that got posted or you're in a live session and students are doing different things or you don't have that same, I don't know why ninja came to mind, but those like ninja ways to kind of do things on the slide because we never want a student with a disability to feel different in the classroom, right? Mm -hmm. We're trying to empower them. We're trying to level that playing field. And we were so used to all the tools that we had. And yes, things change and kids were different every year, but we're very intuitive in things. And then all of a sudden we had to implement in a different way and with different tools and not being in the same space as our students. And that was really hard, that connection to students. And so trying to take what we've used and see how we can implement it virtually. But then a lot of it was a lot of trial and error for us Mm -hmm. and for our students and not being able to sit next to a student and walk through it with them, seeing what's going on with their screen, seeing how they're you know, manipulating the mouse or the keyboard and things like that. We didn't have time to pre-teach them these tools like we would have. We do a lot of pre-teaching in special ed and in regular ed, right? Well, we had to then all of a sudden learn all these tools for as teachers and then teach it to our students without being in the same space as them. And that was really hard. But I think what's cool is now we've expanded our horizons and our kids adapted, right? It wasn't always easy, but they adapted and they learned all this stuff. And now we can take what we've done and really build our kids' self-sufficiency. They've learned how to use the keyboard in new ways or use their, if it's Google Classroom or Canvas or Schoology, Now they know how to work those systems a little bit more. And as teachers, we kind of learn like, oh, I can post this just so these five kids see and my other 20 kids get this assignment. Mm -hmm. Or I can see in real time what's going on with a student so I can make changes. It's not the same as being in the same physical space, but we could take some of that and implement that in the virtual world. As you were speaking there, I was thinking of the word proximity and what a role mm-hmm. proximity played in my own personal classroom and also how that became difficult when now I do instructional technology workshops and doing them from afar and not being able to physically work with someone who maybe isn't comfortable with a computer 
hand over hand in, in a very different world, right? With yeah. with mouse and clicking and, and just helping bring proximity and awareness to a virtual space can be difficult because it's flat yeah. on the screen. The other piece of what you were talking about that kind of stands out is how we've made transitions now that yes, are good for virtual environments, but actually as you and I have been talking, it's becoming clear that any investment in your instructional SDI implementation and uh, practices is going to improve your instruction for all. Mm -hmm. And it's it, it really just comes down to good inclusive practices, good removal of barriers for all, which is something we talk about in this office with UDL. How do we direct continue to direct our focus to just that, improving our instructional mm -hmm. practice, yes, in support of SDIs, but particularly in virtual environments, how can we continue to move ourselves forward, think heading into the new year? I think a lot of it is looking at making our students more self-sufficient in things. Mm -hmm. We've learned all these tools. We've added all these features. But now we're teaching our kids to use it intentionally and us as teachers to implement them intentionally. You know, we need to think, if I'm using this app or this tool, well, why am I picking this one for this assignment? Mm -hmm. You know, were my kids successful using this tool? Do they know how to use it? Does this group of three kids need this app versus these kids need this other app? Or adding accessibility tools mm -hmm. to our LMSs, right? But we know all of our learners are different, but we're also learning from them. I know my daughter loved using like text-to-speech. And so instead of typing something out, she'd record herself and then she could go back, back and fix it. And at first I was concerned at the time she was in like first grade and I'm like, well, she needs to kind of get used to writing some of this stuff. But now, a year later, she writes so much more, and now when she gets to where she doesn't quite know how to spell, she'll try to write it out, and then she'll grab her iPad, and she'll she'll talk into it, and it'll give her the correct spelling, and she self-checks herself. Mm -hmm. So that's something innately she learned how to do, but we can teach our students to do that as well. Personally, I like a lot of audiobooks. Do I still pick up a book? I'm, you know, I have one book that I'm reading, the hard copy of the book, and another book I'm listening to on the Audible app. Well, knowing all of our learners are the same way, right? Some kids, they need to have that read aloud. Maybe I recorded reading, you know, the text in my anthology. I recorded that last year for my students so I could post it on my LMS. That recording didn't go anywhere. I still have it. I can now post it. And then my kids who need to have it because it's one of their SDIs, they have to, other kids can benefit from it. Mm -hmm. And thinking about... Me as a learner in elementary school, I would panic and I would count and I would know when it was my turn to have to popcorn read aloud as we were doing Rod Robin and things. Well, now, if I'm not quite sure how to say something or I'm practicing my fluency, I can listen to it and then I can go do my own, right, and mm -hmm. read it out loud myself. But we have all this stuff that we did and it doesn't go anywhere. So how are we empowering our students to use it for that self-sufficiency? Yep. And I like what you're saying there. It actually relates to some of what I'm going to present at Pete and C this year uh, around time. And there's kind of this misnomer that, that tech saves us a bunch of time. I, I don't necessarily subscribe to that. But what you're mm -hmm. articulating is a repurposing and a reuse of time. Because when we can leverage recordings, when we can leverage tools in a way that affords us the ways we're going to spend our time, we didn't save time. We still need to engage with our students. We need to sit mm -hmm. down with them. We need to instruct. But we can do it in a more personalized and targeted way by capturing 
whether that's a read aloud, whether that's utilizing a, a built-in accessibility feature to meet this student's need, whereas I, the teacher, might have to have used to play that role for this one student that, that took a lot of time. Mm -hmm. My time can be reallocated. I think that's one of the strong strongest benefits of, of really diving into some of what your toolkits, whatever they are, uh, have to offer. And some of these, as we've noted here uh, in this particular post, are built right into LMSs, things text-to-speech, the ability to record and share those lessons, highlighting tools. Then there's other things as well that, like you mentioned, you might need to dive into other apps to make use of, but it's worth it. It's just mm -hmm. so worth it to give a student a more personalized and, and supported uh, learning environment. And by the way, you know, ultimately, you know, we want SDIs to lead to positive learning outcomes for students, right? Like yeah. that's, to me, that's the end game. And these conversations have kind of brought that to light for me. But so much of what's here in this post and what you've talked about through this conversation is just that. It, it's how we're going to reach more students with better instruction. Thinking about something as little as using an assignment book. You and I, how many times, we're sending meetings through Outlook all the time, right? Mm -hmm. And we're scheduling that. Our notes go right in there. It's organizing us in a different way. And we're doing that now for our students. That's setting them up for life, mm -hmm. right? A lot of times we talk around elementary, but it's the same for middle and high school. If we're teaching our students how to leverage the systems that they have in place, the apps that they have, the accessibility features that they have, a lot of that translates as they go into post-secondary, whether they're going to school or whether they're going right into the job front. It's giving them things that they can use. Mm -hmm. You and I use stuff like that all the time, and I don't think as adults we really think about like, oh, these are things that are benefiting our students. I'm using it as an adult. Here's how I can teach them to leverage that and seek it out for themselves and internalize that process. Yep, and I think this is where we're going to head into part five, which is student work and and, mm -hmm. and SDIs around student work. So the, the, the great thing about this series is all the learning that personally I've gotten to, to, to learn from you and, and with you are around how this looks in virtual environments. But the longer we talk, the more I realize it, it really is good practice for all. So again, the investment here is well worth it. So heading into our, our next conversation around student work uh, will be our, our next post. But what could we expect in that? It's uh, thinking about, you know, as teachers were requiring them to learn these specific outcomes while giving them a choice kind of in how they're presenting that material. And okay. in the virtual environment, that can go in so many directions. Yeah, absolutely. Well, we'll look forward to that conversation. And once again, this is the OPL podcast. Cassie is doing a six-part series around uh, supporting students with disabilities in virtual environments, but specifically SDIs in those virtual environments. So Cassie, thanks for hopping on again, and we'll talk to you next time. Sounds good. Thank you.